So why do we do relationships? Why do we get all entangled in relationships? And why do we go through all that kind of stuff? I told some of you a couple of years ago, I was on an overnight flight over the Atlantic coming back from a mission trip in Europe and I was watching a movie and I picked a movie. Arlene didn't believe me later when I told it, a movie that did not have any explosions or gunfire. In fact, the name of the movie was Shall We Dance? And I rented the DVD when we got back and she was all impressed by that. I said, well, I, there's a quote I want to get. And the quote was this, these two folks were talking at a bar and they were talking about marriage, but you can apply it to relationships in general. But the question was, why do people bother with marriage? Why do people bother with relationships? Here's the answer. Now, the reason is we need a witness to our lives. There's a billion people on the planet. I mean, what does any one life really mean? But in a marriage, you're promising to care about everything. The good things, the bad things, the terrible things, the mundane things, all of it, all the time, every day. You're saying, your life will not go unnoticed because I will notice it. Your life will not go unwitnessed because I will be your witness. We all want a witness to our lives. It's how we're wired. However, I saw a statistic this week, a pet owner surveyed, and the question was, if you were stranded on a deserted island, would you prefer to be with a human being or with your pet? 54% of pet owners said, I would prefer to be with my pet if I had to be stranded on a deserted island instead of another human being. So what's the deal here? We, we've got this pull to relationship, but we'd prefer to be with our pets. Why? A lot of it is summarized in that song you just heard, because relationships can be messy, can be painful. We're wired for relationships, but because of the fall, we all have failures in relationships. Now we're in this series called Cultivate. We're treating our souls as a garden, a kingdom garden. We went to the end of Matthew chapter 4 that tells us that Jesus went about, he launched his public ministry and he went about proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Now the kingdom of God is not a place, it's a sphere, it's a realm. Two people can be in the same room, one can be in the kingdom of God and the other can not be in the kingdom of God. The difference is if I'm submitting to his kingship. Before the fall, everything in this world was part of the kingdom. But now because of the rebellion, we, we all have our notions of what's best for us and we rebel against God's kingship. But he's in the process of reclaiming this world and reclaiming the cosmos to the point that one day, we're told in Revelation, the kingdom of this world will become once again the kingdom of our God. 
But in the meantime, person by person, he's calling back under his rulership that doesn't suffocate, but instead liberates us. That's why it's good news. And this announcement, this beginning of the proclamation of the good news starts in the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount starts with the Beatitudes that are eight statements, all beginning with the word blessed. And we're treating these eight statements basically as saplings that we plant in the garden of our souls that we cultivate the rest of our lives. Jesus is saying through these eight statements that are very intentionally ordered, I believe, and you don't pass through one and then leave it and get to the next. You embrace the first, then you move to the second, move to the third, and they all become a part. Jesus is explaining, this is how you become a part of the kingdom. This is how you become a follower of mine. This is how you trust me as king and as savior. And so if you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter five. If you don't own a Bible, go to the Welcome Center afterwards, our welcome desk, and we'd be glad to give you one. If you don't have a Bible with you, turn your attention to the screens. Verse one, Matthew five. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed. Right there he had their attention. The word blessed there is a word, the Greek word is makarios. Root is makar. Up to that point, it was, it was used in Greek literature for Greek, mytho- Greek mythology. But makarios was, is, a human, is a happiness, a contentment that transcends human circumstances. Up to that point, it was thought to only be achievable by Greek gods and goddesses who weren't bothered by human circumstances. Yet Jesus is saying, part of the kingdom, you can become a part of the kingdom, you will experience this deep contentment. Makarios. And he says, here's how you begin that journey. Are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The, 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 the language there is emphatic. Basically, theirs and theirs alone is the kingdom of heaven. The only people that will be, become a part of this kingdom the, that liberates us as human beings to, to fulfill the purposes we were originally meant for is beginning with owning up to our poverty of spirit. Everybody's poor in spirit, but it's those who acknowledge it that enter, can enter the kingdom. It's a spiritual bankruptcy. It's saying before God, it's admitting our sin, our rebellious and saying, God, we don't have what it takes to have your favor. We need you. Jesus is the only people that will be a part of the kingdom is that crowd. Now, it doesn't stop there. The garden gets larger. There are more saplings. That's followed up by the second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn. Uh, It's basically a turning from being grieved over our bankruptcy and they'll be comforted. Comforter is the Holy Spirit, Jesus talks about in the upper room discourse later in the Gospel of John. And so the Holy Spirit takes up the conversion, the spirit of Christ takes up residence in our lives and starts equipping us to live according to the purpose we originally intended for, but we must be meek, which is the third beatitude. Blessed are the meek. Meekness isn't weakness, it's submitting my potential and power underneath his control. They're the ones that will inherit the earth. They're the ones that will be part of this kingdom of God that becomes the kingdom of uh, this, the kingdom of this world that has become once again the kingdom of our God. And then our thirst. We all have longings, but w- it's this crowd of people that are learning that it's rightness with God, rightness with one another is what fills us. They're the only ones that will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, 
for they'll be shown mercy. So then we start giving away what God's giving us, mercy, grace, our, our gifts, our, our finances, our resources, everything we have we start realizing comes from God. But instead of being just containers of that, we become conduits and we give that away. And the way that you can tell if a person truly is experiencing all of God's blessings and experiencing God's mercy is they'll be giving it away. And then blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Pure is clean, but it's also unmixed, it's singular. Those are the people that start viewing this world through God's eyes. Now we come to the beatitude today that gets right down to the nitty gritty of what we're talking about in this relational stuff. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Jesus said a distinction of those who are my followers will be that they're peacemakers. And it's heartbreaking to look over religious history and see how much strife and conflict happens within those who supposedly name Jesus as king. And he says, you need to be peacemakers. What's he say later in John? He, He says, they will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. In the midst of a culture filled with strife and relationships, a mark of kingdom seekers is to be peace. Not the absence of conflict. Conflict is not the enemy of a marriage, of a small group, of a church. Unresolved conflict is. Conflict's unavoidable. If we're diverse, we're thinkers, you're wired different from you, let's get together, we're going to disagree. It's going to be conflict. That's not the enemy. The enemy is it being unresolved. Jesus is saying peacemaking. It's what distinguishes you as children of God. And that's why we're told over and over in the New Testament, you got to be active. It's not a passive thing. You got to go for it. uh, Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Be thankful. Hebrews 12, verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Romans 12, 18, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. It's not always going to work, but on your end, be at peace. Be at peace with one another. Mark chapter 9, verse 50. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This making every effort. I mean, there are a few things that cause us more stress, at least for me, than relational junk. And I'm a neophyte when it comes to relationships. I'm somebody that... I'm, I'm, we, we, we always, some of us are more relationally wired than others, but all of us have to be intentional regarding seeking peace. I want you to have in mind somebody that you're having conflict with. It could be small conflict, it could be large, I, I don't know. It's very possibly the person that's putting their elbow uh, gently and nudging you right now, but, or maybe they don't want to do that. Could be somebody in another state, I, I, I don't know. But have in mind, I now want you to think of offering them a a handshake of peace. Know the origins of handshakes? 
We do it all the time, we don't realize it. Handshakes, they say, started back when people carried weapons. It's, it's, a, it's a gesture of peacemaking. When you are, would, would extend your hand to shake somebody else's hand, you were revealing to that person you were not holding a weapon. In fact, the handshake part, m- many think that, that originated in making sure that no weapons were hidden up the sleeve. So let's shake the hand to make sure. Now, you're not holding one, but are you, you got something up your sleeve, and let's shake it out of there. So in the midst of conflict, how do we become peacemakers? What does peacemaking look like? I don't know if peacemaking is a word, but it is now. Let me give you five fingers, five characteristics, and five ingredients, but see these as five fingers in extending a, a handshake of peace to someone. Number one, it will involve humility. Humility. This starts at the very first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. Humility is, is where it generates, and so often, where, where this walk with Christ is generated, and so often we violate peace in our relationships because of sheer pride. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. Where there is strife, there is pride. Some in some way, shape, or form. A friend of mine, Ben Patterson, writes about church conflict. And he says, church conflict will always find its roots in our passion to make ourselves, our needs, our opinions, our group, our goals, our theology, the center of the universe. It starts with me saying, it's all about me, when it's not all about me. And the humility that, that is generated when we're, when we're approaching Jesus with a submissive heart, it spills over into the way we treat one another. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank? in your own eye? If you don't think Jesus had a sense of humor, read that again. Saying, you know what, I I got an issue with you. You know what, you you got a little something right here. And he's saying, and and it's really bothering me. I, I think you're wrong to have that. All the while, I've got a plank I'm holding up. You know, I use props a lot. My prop today is as a hand for a handshake, but I thought about carrying a plank around out of my eye all the entire sermon. But think of the image. He says, you point out the speck of sawdust in somebody's eye when you got to deal with the plank that's in yours. Humility will call me to understand that, to say it. He says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. 1 Peter 5, 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humility, being willing to admit, you know what, I, I don't have it all together, I'm, I'm wrong. I was on a f- flight a couple of weeks ago, and the couple in front of me were going at it. And it wasn't a nice going at it. They were uh, having a, some conflict. And uh, it started, I mean, they were, uh, they, I, I had already sat in my seat, they sat down, they were going at it when they sat down. And, 
And I was hearing everything. Part of it is because they were speaking a little louder. Another part is because I was right there. Uh, if you're ever wondering if I'm on your plane, just look and you'll see my head up a little bit higher. The shoulder, uh, the shoulder rest, headrest hits me right below the shoulder blades. So I can read people's books in, in the row in front of me. What you reading? So they're going at it, and I'm I'm hearing this this whole thing, and she, uh, and he was a strong personality. You could just tell, uh, the humility thing was not there. And she said, "I mean, when when you when you're when we're arguing, you will never admit that you're wrong." He says, "That's not true." <laughs> And she says, you've always got to win. He said, no, I don't. Humility. This handshake. A peacemaking handshake starts with humility. Finger number two in this handshake will be honesty. Honesty about the fact that there is conflict. You know, the whole notion of the emperor who has Hans Christian Andersen's fable about the emperor in the new clothes, the invisible clothes that the swindlers had talked him in to, uh, he paid them money and they were not making clothes, but they said they're invisible and only uh, unworthy people will uh, miss the fact that you have these wonderful uh, clothes on and uh, no, only unworthy people will miss that you do have clothes on. People would say, you know what? The emperor, it took a little boy in the crowd saying, that man's naked. Nobody else wanted to call the emperor out and, and say he has no clothes on. Often in conflict situations, in a couple, in a family, in a small group, people live in denial. It's like some trash, just sweeping it under the rug and it gets bigger and bigger and you start walking around it in your relationship or in your church and nobody wants to say there's a problem here. Matthew chapter five, verse 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, be honest about it. Say, there's a problem. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Don't ignore the conflict. Be honest about it, which is related to the third finger. This, this handshake of shalom, of peacemaking, will involve humility. It will involve honesty. Uh, thirdly, it will involve initiative. Me taking initiative. Admitting there's a conflict and then saying, hey, I want to do something about it. I, Arlene and I were at City Walk at Universal Friday night with some friends. And you know, there are not many places in the world that are clean enough that if I were to drop an ice cream cone, I'd pick it up and, and eat it. I think I, I would there. I mean, it is spotless. All our theme parks here are. How do they keep it so clean? Just pause, and I did this. I, I looked around, I finally found a guy. Had a broom? and a little bitty, little small little dustpan, and he's walking around, there's a tiny little piece of plastic. Goes over here, toothpick. You know how they keep it so clean? They don't let a mess get started. And too often they take initiative when the trash is small. 
So it's me saying, you know what? I'm going to take that step and say, there is a problem. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. In your anger, do not let the sun go down. In your anger, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. I'm terrible at this. I'll stew on something, and I wait second night, third night. The, the trash is accumulating. It's getting bigger. And peacemakers take initiative. Peacemaking, that involves me doing something. It might involve me approaching someone, or it might involve me simply forgiving someone who doesn't want to be approached. Remember the passage we read earlier from Romans, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all people. Sometimes people don't want to join in the reconciliation. We still must offer our forgiveness or it'll eat us alive. Somebody has defined uh, bitterness as taking rat poison, you know, ingesting rat poison and expecting the other person to die. When all we're doing is hurting ourselves, take initiative for giving. Just Ephesians 4.32, as Christ has forgiven me, so I must offer forgiveness to others. But oftentimes people are willing, if we're coming in humility, with honesty saying, hey, I, I'm, I don't like where we are right now. You know what? Conflict is, is an invitation to intimacy in any relationship. And when there's reconciliation, there's a deeper understanding. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Take initiative. What will initiative look like in that conflict that you're thinking of? What small step? The great, greatest of all journeys, the longest of journeys, still always begins with just one step. Now, caveat. Sometimes the initiative will simply be overlooking the offense, saying this is not big enough to get upset about. You don't have to burrow down and deal with every misunderstanding in a relationship. Proverbs, chapter 19, verse 11, a person's wisdom yields patience, and it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Huh. Sometimes offenses, if they're not that big, it's not that big of a deal, just overlook it. Am I too easily offendable is a powerful question for a peacemaker to ask. Do I get offended too easy? We're in a culture where it's amazing what sets people off. You offended me, by the way. You know what? Settle. First Peter chapter 4, verse 8, here's how. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Say, say, you know what? Yeah, it bothered me, but it's not that big of a deal, really. I just love them over it. But take initiative to even do that. Now, I need to mention one other thing about initiative, and it has to do with the nature of peacemaking. Peacemaking is not just about me and other people that I might be having conflict about. People is, peacemaking is also about being reconciled to God. 
And it's me caring about the people around me being reconciled to God. Peacemaking is evangelism. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, will tell you if your feet are pretty or not. Here you go. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. They're taking the initiative regarding people around them and they're carrying good news. And whatever our new vision is at Northland, it will be related to being, taking the initiative to have good looking feet and proclaiming peace and shalom that can happen because of Jesus. Fourth finger in this handshake of shalom. Humility, honesty, initiative. Fourth one is listening. Peacemaking involves listening well. Most of us are not good listeners. Arlene and I were at dinner last night, and uh, just the two of us were t- talking. And, but after a few minutes, I, just, I started to know there was just this background noise. And at the bar, maybe 20 feet away from us, were these three guys sitting at a corner of the bar, but only one of them was talking. And he was talking constantly. I mean, I, I, I finally paused and looked. Does he, does he take a breath? Because it was just non-stop. And after a while, we were, you know, what's that noise? Where is that coming from? It's kind of real. Is this guy talking? Talking, talking, talking. And I'm looking at the other two guys. And I don't know if they were introverts or what, but they were just, they were getting their, their meal. They were eating because they couldn't get a word in edgewise. A lot, a lot of times, we, in the midst of conflict, we want to be the talker. Instead of listening, we make assumptions without getting clarification. We don't listen. Like uh, the intern at the large insurance company had this ream of hand, uh, handwritten forms and was standing in front of a, a shredding machine and this senior admin assistant came up who's pretty gruff and impatient, walked up to him and said, what's the problem? And uh, he says, how does this work? And, and she just grabbed, didn't ask any questions, just grabbed the papers and stuck them in the machine and hit the button, start shredding them. And he says, yeah, but how do you tell it how many copies to make? <laughs> Listen first. Listen. This is what James says. James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak, and slow to become angry as a result, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Be careful about jumping to conclusions. Be careful to hear not just what's being said, but what's not being said. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Peacemaking is about listening well. It's about seeking to understand even before I seek to be understood. But most of us first want to be understood instead of taking some time to say, do I understand you? I was with a guy at a conference a number of years ago. He's the CEO of a 
a production company, and they were having some real issues, not just union stuff, but just conflict within their management. And so they got all the white-collar management, all the blue-collar management, the people that made it happen, the, the people that made some of the decisions in order to make it happen, and got everybody in a room. They had an outside mediator come in, and this guy is tell, telling me his name's Bill. He said, I thought it was going to be some complicated thing. It turned out to be the simplest thing in the world. What this guy did is he, he said, all right, I want us to go around the room and start talking. Here's what I want you to say. I want to, you get in pairs, and everybody else is going to watch this happen. It's going to be person A, person B. Person A is going to say, I feel X because of Y. Once that person A has said that, person B needs to say, I hear you saying that you feel X because of Y. Is that correct? Person A responds, yes, if, that, if it is correct. Once the yes is given, then you shake hands. Just awkward silence for a minute. And then an electrician broke the silence and started a floodgate of reconciliation. The electrician said, all right, I'll give this a try. And he looks at his supervisor. He said, I feel afraid because I have to work on such and such a circuit box with tens of thousands of volts of electricity flowing through it while standing in ankle deep water. And I feel angry because I tell you that and I've told you that and you don't seem to care. His boss said, Let me see if I can repeat that. You are angry because you feel that I don't care, that you are afraid because you're working on a circuit box standing in ankle-deep water. Is that correct? And the guy said, yes. Bill, who's telling me this story, said, then it went around the room. And that day, we made more progress in two hours than we had made in 15 years. It's because we started listening to one another. Let me give you the fifth to complete the handshake. It's not just humility and honesty and initiative and listening. It's careful speech. Careful speech in the conflict, careful speech about the conflict. Our tongues are powerful. Do not underestimate the power of healing and the power of damage when it comes to matters of the tongue. Proverbs 15 verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Tone of voice, they say, is basically 90%. 90% of tension in conversations and communication is caused by tone of voice. A gentle answer. It's not just what I say, but how I say it. Proverbs 15, 28, the heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Am I attacking the problem or am I attacking the person? Am I being cynical? Am I trying to use my cynicism uh, as, an, as a, com- a, a, a comedy act? Am I trying to joke? You know, phrases like, uh, just let me offer this, phrases like, you have an ounce for a brain, those typically don't go so well in conflict. Or why don't you join the human race? Careful speech. But it's not just about, not just in the conflict, it's about the conflict. 
Issues of gossip, Proverbs 16, 28. And this is an area, this whole careful speech is something in some of the surveys that we're looking at and some of what I've observed since coming here. This is a huge work area for us and we're making progress though here at Northland. But it's so important in any community. Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse person stirs up conflict. And a gossip separates close friends. James 3, verse 5, the tongue is a small part of the body. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. In Colorado years ago, the, the Haman fire was started by a small spark, careless at a campfire, 138,000 acres later. They finally got the fire out. And James is using that analogy. Your tongue, my tongue, can start a fire in a community. Proverbs 26, verse 20, without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. It's something that feels good because you're making yourself look better than if I'm gossiping, I'm putting others down, it's unfair and it does great damage. A woman at a, in a small Scottish village many, many years ago spread gossip about an, an elderly gentleman in the, in the village who happened to be the pastor. She finally was confronted of it, felt guilty about it, went to him and apologized and asked for forgiveness. He said, I do forgive you, but I need you to do something. She said, what's that? He said, I want you to go home and take one of your chickens. You're gonna have to kill it, you can have the meat. I'm not interested in the meat, but I want you to pluck it and bring all the feathers back to me. A Couple hours later, she came back with, with a basket full of feathers. He said, now I want you to go around the village and I wanted you to put a little clump of feathers on the doorstep of everyone that you shared this gossip with, that you spoke to. And then I want you to go home and go to bed, and tomorrow I want you to get back and go collect all of those feathers and bring them back to me. She said, that's impossible. The feathers will be blown everywhere. He said, exactly. The damage that you've done can never be brought back, but I still forgive you. But may you learn from that. You can't take gossip back. Jesus said, look at the verse again, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You see that last phrase? The family resemblance of who our Father is comes out no better than in our peacemaking. When my boys used to do outstanding stuff, I'd say, man, they remind me of me. When they would do disobedient stuff, Arlene would say, they remind me of your dad. Our behavior reveals our family resemblance. Jesus said, remind people of your father by being peacemaking. Reveal who your king is by your peacemaking. Experience the good news, the goodness of the kingdom by peacemaking. I've got something I want you to do, but before I do, I'm going to pray.